Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Simon Anthony and Torty Talks. Sadly, and much to my personal regret, I am still suffering from long COVID, despite the fact that people tend to think that this is not a debilitating illness that renders me incapable of work, which sadly it is, I can just about drag out of my brain uh, my archive recordings of things that I can make podcasts out of. This following programme is the second part of a... um, a lively arts presentation on the subject of Doctor Who, which was broadcast 13 years after the show started, which I think means 1977, although my maths is not up to it, as quite a number of my faculties are lacking. As I record today, science fiction is about to be overtaken by science fact as two rockets are about to be launched to the moon for the first time, uh, large enough to hold people in over 50 years. And I shall be documenting this, I hope, in other episodes of Torty Talks. No one can tell what will actually happen because this is history in the making. And now we move freely through time. 13 years, in fact, the length of run so far for one of television's most popular family shows, Doctor Who, a phenomenon examined in tonight's edition of The Lively Arts. I didn't like it when the man got crushed in the machine and was put into the soil in the garden. Tom Baker, Seeds of Death. And the monster didn't really scare me, but I didn't like that bit. <laughs> Afterwards, it just seemed horrible when it was on. Well, he did deserve it because he was trying to kill Sarah and the doctor. He wasn't very nice. He was horrible because the baddies have got to be got rid of anyway. I think all human beings like to be scared, which is why people go to late-night horror films in in the cinema. But um, you've got a a basis of security, um, which is a a, a framework which prevents any real harm being done, I think. Uh, We watch as a family. Um, I think they know that these creatures are make-believe. Like most of our contributors, the Matthews family responded to a letter we placed in the Radio Times. They're fans of Doctor Who, so for a less committed view, we talked to an educational psychologist, John Miller, who visits schools in Oxfordshire. The psychologist always has to have some understanding and acquaintance with the material that his clients produce. They're little um, creatures in So that if a child has seen a programme or read a book or is thinking in the language of some material, then you really need to acquaint yourself with that to understand what they're talking about. I quite like them. I like hating them. We asked John Miller if a child's drawings or fantasy about Doctor Who ever helped him in understanding the child's problems or motivations. I saw a boy who had originally been autistic and he'd gotten a lot better and was in a special school. And he told me um, that he'd had a, uh, he had a recurring dream, nightmare, that the Daleks were massing in the bushes around the school 
and were wanting to attack, but they couldn't because of the teachers. And this, to me, suggested that, I mean, the Daleks are a superb representation of sort of autistic behavior, if you like, of mechanical, mindless, emotionless behavior. And this told me that that part of him, that tendency that he had, was in danger of invading, was in danger of taking him over again. But the work that the teachers were doing with him was keeping it at bay. Doctor Who makes me dream. Doctor Who makes you dream, yeah. I see. And what sort of, you have bad dreams from watching it? No. There is a tendency, um, I'm afraid, even amongst intelligent people, even amongst teachers, doctors, clergymen, people who should know better, to pretend that all the nasty things in life come from outside. And I have no doubt that a television programme can have a disturbing effect on a child, but I think it's very naive to say this is to attribute this purely to the television program because an image cannot affect you per se unless it latches onto something that is already inside you and i think that uh, what we all tend to deny in our technological society is the fact that human nature has uh, a dark side a hidden side a mysterious frightening aspect which monsters representations of various sorts activate oh doctor there's something in here with us Something alive! Yes, I know. The monster of Peladon. I don't move, sir. <laughs> Come on, Abbott, old chap. That's no way to greet an old friend. <laughs> you remember me, surely? <laughs> I don't think he does, Doctor. I don't think that there can be a, a desirable sort of um, diet, if you like, of, of television programmes. I mean, what appears on television or in a newspaper or in any media is bound ultimately to be the product of what that society is interested in. And uh, if something is popular and if something is... Um, acceptable, generally speaking, then I think that means that it has relevance in that society. Now, if it disturbs people, well, that's a problem that uh, everybody has to sort out. Um, in my sister's bedroom, it's horrible and creepy. If you step on the floor, it goes... Is there any connection between John's work and the programme, we asked? What Doctor Who, in a sort of caricature way, does in the programme describes very much what I feel this may sound quite ludicrous, what I feel I'm doing as a psychologist, because I have supposedly a lot of sort of wonderful uh, technological knowledge, like Doctor Who is supposed to have. But in actual fact, I know that ultimately what will enable me to help a child or a family is uh, just being really honest, sincere, receptive. Oh dear, now where were we? Ah, yes, of course, yes, yes, yes. Now, X equals gamma, now, uh, that means roughly two and a half percent, so that should give us a curve of round about 80 degrees. Just, oh, by the way, did you take three-dimensional graph geometry at your school? Hmm? No, Doctor. Only Boyle's law. What a pity. What a pity. So we shall have to boil this down now, shall we? <laughs> well, now then, let's see. All four doctors have displayed a dazzling variety of talents, at least in comparison with ordinary mortals like their companions. Right, now put that bar there. Right. And watch your eyes, because, you know, it yeah. might be nasty. Especially does the doctor revel in the solution of complex technological problems. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Pull that and shut up, will you? Pay attention. Let me have a bar, please. You know, doctor, 
Sometimes you astound me. Only sometimes, dear boy. Oh. One perhaps thinks of him in terms of a Merlin, someone who has command over the elements, command over the beasts. His various devices for exerting his power, sometimes apparently omniscient, but he's always a little doubting of that. What shall we do? Well, there's, there's nothing we can do till that wretched croton moves away. Look, it's all right again. Yes, what a what a stupid place to land. You can tell that the captain is not at the helm, can't you? You knew it would vanish like that, didn't you? Well, it only does that, you see, if I if I remember to set the hads. The what? The hads. The hostile action displacement system. If the TARDIS is attacked, it automatically dematerializes. Um, he, you know he has to get out of the situations by his own intelligence, by thinking about it. And that makes it quite fascinating to see how he does think around these problems and doesn't just resort to the, well, clicks a finger and, you know, evaporates out of the situation. You miss it. And the doctor is no stranger to political philosophy. Now, what did you discover in your investigation at the mines? That the miners are on the point of armed rebellion, Your Majesty. And that Gebbeck is your only hope. He's a moderate. Civil war is the last thing that he wants. Well, what about Ettis? Yes, that's the trouble. Ettis has scored a considerable success with that attack of his on the armory. Now all the young hotheads are keen to follow him. What should we do? Send for Gebbeck at once, Your Majesty. Promise him a better way of life for his miners and see that they get it. That will cut the ground from under Ettis' feet. But Ortron says it is wrong to give in to the miners. That they will want more and more. You've got to convince your people that the Federation means a better way of life for everybody. Not just for a few nobles at court. Vexing problems for all our politicians in 1974 when this episode was shown. I will try your plan, Doctor. Well, I think his power of deduction is very good. It's quite funny sometimes how just a tiny little clue he can bring out something very important to the adventure. Look! Tom Baker, Robot, his first episode. Doctor, I have every respect for your concern for ecology, but really, one squashed dandelion... Not just squashed. Flattened. Almost pulverised. How did it get like that? Well, I suppose it was stepped on. Exactly. And according to my estimation of the resistance to pressure of vegetable fibre, it was stepped on by something that weighed a quarter of a ton. Uh, the doctor, when he is in confrontation, uh, is usually operating on a kind of metaphysical plane. It's a matter of a contest of wills. Where are your companions? <laughs> Who else but William Hartnell? Commander B Division, proceed immediately to Corridor 417. A simple matter of thought selection. By asking a question, I plant an image in your mind. No matter what you say, as long as you are seated in that chair, I will see your mental pictures reflected. You see, it is quite useless for you to lie to me. Now, shall we return to the questioning? How did you get here? Well, no more questions? Hmm? And it is learned that I, Morbius, have returned from the grave. My 
followers will rise in their millions. You really can't go on calling yourself Morbius. There's very little of Morbius left. Why don't you think of another name? Potpourri would be appropriate. Well, how about Chop Suey? Ah. Chop Suey, the Galactic Emperor. You will be the first to die. Brain getting a little overheated, is it? Careful, not as strong as it was. My brain functions perfectly. Ah, it, Morbius. All that time in the tank, it's gone soft. Do you dare put it to the test? What test? We have all the apparatus here. I challenge you to a mind-bending contest. I am a Time Lord of the first rank. What are you? Oh, nothing, nothing. A mere nobody, but I don't think you're in the first rank anymore. Very well, Doctor. If that is how you want to die, I accept your challenge. There's a sporting gentleman. What's mind-bending? Time Lord Wrestling. It's usually a game, but it can end in death lock. It will, Doctor. I, Morbius, do not play games. Neither do I. Are you ready? On guard, Morbius. Carries more than an axe to Morbius, whose brain overheats. Doctor emerged victorious that time, just. But his efforts aren't always rewarded. Despite all the doctor's technical know-how, he's just as likely in a desperate situation to fall back on just bungling through. And uh, this, what this shows, I think, is that despite all his superior qualities, he's still fallible. Zombies, the web. Ah, the doctor's not getting through to them. This headset on. And press the button. Press the button! All right, there's no need to shout. Go away and don't fuss me. Now come back, what's this? It's all right, I know. Uh, right, fire away, I'm ready. Patrick Troughton. Oh, oh. Oh, doctor, you've got it all wrong. Oh dear, I've been working in square roots. Uh, can I have that again, please? You've got to listen to me now. Have I? John Pertwee. Not backwards. I'm sorry, Doctor. What was that again? For <laughs> oh, the low underhanded tricks. What language was that? English. English? Yes, but backwards. I just don't get it. He's picking up my words even before I've spoken them and feeding them back to me through the TARDIS's telepathic circuits, making them come out backwards. <laughs> oh, 
to you, Bear. It's Antarctica. What about where we started? Yes. We won't get a suntan here. You forgot to cancel the coordinate program, didn't you? Yes. Very few times he fails in a series. Once a series, I should think. Once in each series, in each four weeks. Oh. Take off his coat. Oh. oh. At least him. No, no. No, no, please, what are you doing? No. Just... Oh. no, no. Let me go now. John Hurtley, the demons. What on earth is going What are you doing? What on earth is this? You're being invited to join our May Day revels, Doctor. Doctor. Doctor, are you all right? Success or failure is often a life or death matter for Doctor Who. Dr. Sherwood Jones and his intensive care unit feel that Doctor Who's victories and defeats reflect aspects of their own work. Uh, we're delighted and relieved that, like ourselves, we, he makes mistakes or errors. We envy his problem-solving capacity, because intensive care requires problems to be solved very quickly. Dr. Jones and his colleagues are responsible for intensive care at Whiston Hospital, 11 miles outside Liverpool. Robert, can you come and tell us what we're treating? Most patients in intensive care units recover quite speedily, like the patients we saw at Whiston. But the need for accurate diagnosis and immediate treatment makes enormous demands on the staff. I think all teams working closely together have various diversions to relieve pressure and strain, to relieve tensions and forms of escapism, possibly. And Dr. Hoop is an important part in our working lives. for me. Very good. You're much better. It's vital to watch it, to be on the same wavelength as Dr. Sherwood on a Monday morning. For instance, during a ward round, he very often refers to bits of machinery that Doctor Who uses in his programs. Good. What a terrible thing. It's very confusing when you first start on a new place and the consultant who, sort of all the consultants you've known in the past are very sort of straight-laced and, and uh, he starts talking about Doctor Who and did you see his latest dolly burden? <laughs> we enjoy his improvisation. A few pieces out of his pocket or some scraps of electronic something enables him to overcome some adversary or problem. And we've often attempted the same with bent wires and string and ceiling wax. So there are close parallels. And we can't be sure if this is really going to work. Well, of course it's going to work. What will work? Well, I'm trying to devise a weapon that we can use against them. Well, it's not very efficient, I know, but it's the best that I can do. Switch on, Liz. Liz, switch on! Not working. Liz, come on. Liz, come on, quick. Well, what's wrong with it? Doctor, I'm crying. Viewers have their own ideas about what Doctor Who can and cannot do, but it's principally the writers who determine the Doctor's character, and they have a somewhat older audience in mind these days, as you'll see from the script conference we filmed in producer Graham Williams' office. What I've been worrying about is possibly the feeling that... Um... We've had the Doctor taking over too much in the result, in the revolt against the nobles, and um, acting as too much of a political figure, which, which I don't think is in his nature. Because I, I don't think the Doctor, 
I think the doctor knows that he isn't stopping, and he would very much be concerned that people should solve their own problems. No, I, mean, I don't really take this point. I mean, it's not taking over no. uh, this, this planet. I mean, he's going to do well, what I, he's I, come I, for, I, which is to steal this uh, lump of uh, mercury or whatever it is and zoom off. Yeah. yeah, but he is going to be concerned that the people who are left behind are going to be able to cope. You know, I mean, he doesn't want the, yeah, the sure. baddies to get in control again. Which is what you're going to write for us. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I know more about the programme than the writers do. Quite naturally, I do. They think they know more about it than me. It's a question of who wins. And so, as I know head-on collisions, there's this nice devious compromise. I get away with some, and they get away with some. D is on the top of the dragon, 16 feet high in the air, with a laser gun. Is that safe? Tom Baker with actor Deep Roy and director David Maloney, rehearsing the last episode of The Talons of Wang Chiang. So, Deep, you'll be inside the, the, the dragon's head, looking through the eyes, uh -huh. and you have to shoot down at Tom. Tom is on the floor. Behind, a, a, there's a table, isn't it, we're hiding? There's there. a table here. Ah, that's in the later seat. At this point, Griel calls, now sin, strike, strike. Then Deep fires the gun at you. You fall on the floor. I'm knocked out. You're knocked out on the floor. Yeah, right, so I'm, I'm done. I actually recorded this scene yeah, when I went to the BBC. Dr. Ashen-faced. Well, I must say, when we argue lines or situations, I mostly think, what will amuse or divert, you know, the sort of average bright child? And then Lightfoot says, are you hurt? I mean, shot <laughs> with a stun gun. He says, have you been hurt? I thought I might be able to say to Lightfoot there, so by the time I put him away a bit, he says, are you hurt? I can say, no, it's my imagination. And then you go across to see these two girls lying on the bed. <coughs> They've been doped. You have these lines here. The broth of oblivion. What? Chinese soup. More Mickey Finn than Shark Finn. Ah! 3-1. 3-1. No. Fundamentally, the doctor no, is totally thought. predictable. And so you use everything you can all, all the time. I mean, I'm very keen on the style of humour of Oscar Wilde or Noel Coward. And their style of humour is that if someone suddenly wants a divorce, nobody gets excited about that at all. He says, certainly, you know, well, Tuesday do. But if, if the chap says, are there any chocolates in the house, and his wife says no, then he has a nervous breakdown. We wanted to know how far Tom Baker identified with the programme's morality. We asked him if he could characterise it. Did he himself agree with it, and was it important to him? The standards of the Doctor, which of course some people might deride as sort of uh, wind in the willows morality, of good triumphing over evil, and rather good manners most of the time, and you know, the recurring compassion and concern of the Doctor. Yes, they are standards and values that I admire very much. None of the Doctors have shown any inclination towards pacifism, but they all share a determination to avoid causing unnecessary suffering. They're all reluctant to kill. Uh, well, is everybody all right? Hmm? No, Tyler, no. I never take life. Only when my own is immediately threatened. You still think you have a chance? Yes, if you'll help us. Help you? Why should I? But to save us. To save yourself. And if I survive, what future have I, Doctor? What will the world do with me? Oh, for heaven's sake, stop thinking about yourself. Think of the millions of people on Earth who are about to die. When you get back to Scarrow, you'll all be national heroes. Everybody will want to hear about your adventures. Of course. So be careful how you tell that story, will you? Don't glamorize it. Don't make war sound like an exciting and thrilling game. I understand. 
tell him about the members of your mission that will not be returning. Like Mara, Weber, and Marit. Tell them about the fear. Otherwise, your people might relish the idea of war. licensed you to slaughter people. The more genus thorns, you understand, ever. But more than compassion is needed to defeat evil. In many of the episodes that I've seen, it, my impression is that Doctor Who only finally manages to beat whatever threat is uh, about to destroy civilization by abandoning all his encyclopedic knowledge and uh, making some simple act of faith or courage. And this, to me, is, is one of the essential messages of all fairy stories, it is about, really, the fact that science is not enough, and this is something we really need to think more about today. Approach closer. What are you called, Time Lord? Doctor. I offer you an alliance, Doctor. Serve me, truly, and an empire can be yours. Serve you, Sutek. Your name is abominated in every civilized world. Were that name be said, Satan, sad off. Serve me, Doctor. Never! It may be that the reason why most of the people who seem to be interested in Doctor Who are boys or men is because it is to do with two main things, to do with technology um, and pioneering spirit and a sort of heroism. Now, um, one of the problems of our present uh, society is that it is, it, it, it is male-dominated, or is dominated by the masculine spirit. I think that the woman has been, well, the mortal women have been done down, um, in rather a Hollywood way as well. Um, they always trip over, or make a noise, or generally spoil the whole show. And I feel, e even with the, up, uh, the oncoming of women's lib, um, it still hasn't changed very much. E even the girl companions these days are still spoiling the show, tripping over. Women do get a fair deal. Most of the Doctor's companions have been female. And uh, there's even a story in which women played the lead part, but as the villains. We come from Drava, some 400 dawns ago. We were investigating this particular section of the galaxy. We were looking for a planet such as this, capable of supporting life, so that we might colonize it. There are too many of us on Drava. All women. Women? Yes, uh, just feminine, uh, female. <laughs> oh, oh, we have a small number of men, as many as we need. The rest we kill. They consume valuable food and fulfill no particular function. What is this? Eh? Oh, just a girl taken in the forest. Girl? You have two species on this planet? How say you? The girl is not of your kind, Iron Gron. The hair is finer, the thorax of a different construction. Oh, hell, Pete, have you no girls beyond the stars, no women to do the lowly work? Ah, I understand. You have a primary and secondary reproductive cycle. It is an inefficient system. You should change it. Um, I think I like Leela, because she's not modern. She comes from a long time, long, long time away, I should think. She's braver than Sarah. Sarah screamed every time she saw a monster. She's more wild than them. And <laughs> she doesn't mind killing somebody because she carries her bow and arrow with her. I am a warrior of the Sever team. I know the different sounds of death. Now put our prisoner to the torture! 
yet. Doctor Who fans may like to know, I'm sure they'd like to know, that two, two exhibitions currently on display. One's at Longleat, near Warminster, in Wiltshire, and the other on Blackpool's Golden Mile. Both exhibitions feature the Doctor's latest adversaries and are open daily until October. I worked at the BBC and prepared a video that was actually shown at the Longleat exhibition. A few people saw it and quite liked it. Also, I picked up two bloopers, an overacting Dalek and one that says, Bugger, I've lost them. Very funny, I thought. That was one in a series of Torty Talks by Simon Anthony, acting at torty.org.uk.